and I leave for a moment and a Southern Baptist church breaks out. So that's, uh, that's good. Uh, ben, one more. There we go. All right. It's great to, great to be with you this morning. If, um, I didn't, if I said hi before you came in today, uh, hello and a welcome to you. Um, we're glad that you're here and looking forward to continuing with our series on the life of Jesus, and especially those three years of his ministry. You know, the influence of the crowd can be a powerful thing. Like if everyone would have clapped in a moment ago, everyone or more would have clapped, everyone would have clapped, right? The influence of the crowd can be a powerful thing. I was watching a TV show on the National Geographic channel not too long ago, at least a segment of it from YouTube, and they were uh, sort of experimenting about the power that the crowd can have. And, and here's the scenario they set up. A lady was going to her eye doctor appointment, and she had to wait for her, her, uh, her doctor, so she was sitting in the waiting room. And there was about 10 to 12 other people in the room. And as, as she was sitting there, there was this beep that went off about every 20 to 30 seconds or so. It's... Um, Kind of that same sound that you hear when your smoke alarm needs the battery changed. And when does that happen? Usually in two in the morning. And do you have a nine volt in your house? Of course not. So it just keeps beeping. Most annoying sound ever. Anyway, it was beeping every 20 to 30 seconds. And all of these other 10 to 12 people in the waiting room were planted there by the show. And they were instructed that every time that the beep went off, they were to stand up and then sit down together. And so she's sitting here, she knows none of this. The beep goes off, and everyone in the room stands up, like this would be really weird, wouldn't it? And sits down. And the camera shows her face, like, she's just kind of like not moving her head, but moving her eyes, like what is going on here? 20 seconds later, beep goes off. <laughs> everyone in the room, in the waiting room, stands up and sits down. 20, 30 seconds later, one more time. And guess what she did? She stood up and she sat down. And in fact, they continued to roll the tape as people in the waiting room were kind of called out to their doctor's appointment. Again, remember, all fake, all set up. So that she was actually the only one left in the waiting room. Her and the nurse, who she, or the receptionist, who wasn't a part of it. She was just sitting there. The beep goes off. She's the only one in the room. She stands up and she sits down. Now, after this happened, you know, they're kind of doing the interview afterwards is, you know, what were you thinking? And she's like, well, everyone in the room was standing up and sitting down. And I didn't know why, but I just felt like it was important because everyone else was doing it. Doesn't that sound familiar? And that I should just stand up and sit down. And the reason I bring this up is because she is not so much different than any of us. The influence of the crowd is powerful. The influence of the crowd is powerful. And, you know, back in the 1950s, I think, there was this uh, psychologist named Solomon Ash. And he did a bunch of, like, uh, research and experimenting on this. And what could he get people to do if other people were doing it? And there's some really interesting research if you'd, if you'd want to take a look at that on the Internet. Um, but this idea of whether you call it 
social proof or mob mentality or the old-fashioned word was peer pressure, right? This is so, so true. And it, it affects us. Like a lot of what you wear and think looks good is not because you would have come to that on your own. It's because other people wear it and that's what is kind of the in style. Our homes, you know, don't they tend to, after a while, until the, until the styles change, all tend to go in the same direction and the same paint on the walls or the same whatever it might be, right? Um, it affects the brands that you think are okay. Like we've had discussions at home about this. Like we can get this one phone, I won't use brand names, that like actually does more than this other brand for cheaper, but it doesn't have the word on it or the symbol or whatever, right? And adults, you know, like don't look at your kids because you do this too. Whether it's the kind of car that you drive or, or the type of jeans or the type of purse or whatever, why, why are those things important? It's not, you didn't come up with it. It's because of the crowd. And it's not always even bad necessarily, but it is true. Financial decision making. What is everyone else doing? You know why so many mortgages went under 15 years ago, 10 years ago? It's because everyone was doing the same thing. And if they did it, well, then certainly I can do it too. It affects the way we think about certain topics. And I I think one of the important things for today, I've already done, which is just to Make sure that you're aware of this. And it's our first fill-in for today. That one of the most powerful influences in your life is the crowd. And if you haven't thought about that, it's important that you do, whether it's for good or bad. One of the most powerful influences in your life is the crowd. And this is more true today than ever before. Because the crowd is louder And it's bigger than ever before. See, you don't need to go to school to be influenced by the crowd anymore. And you don't need to go to work to be influenced by the crowd. And you don't need to go to the work party to be influenced by the crowd. Or the neighbor's home to be influenced by the crowd. You just need to sit on the couch by yourself with your phone in your hand. And the crowd is speaking to you in one way or another. And so today, as we consider the power of the crowd, I just want to say, first of all, it's, it's good for us to recognize. And secondly, that I want to leave you with some tools to navigate this powerful influence called the crowd. And to do that, we're going to sort of jump in to the next part of Jesus' ministry that we're going to be studying in this series. And it happens, again, towards the beginning of his third year of ministry. Last week, we looked at Jesus uh, feeding, what, 5,000 men, which ended up being more like fifteen to 20,000 people, with five loaves of bread and two fish. And after this happened, uh, John the disciple records that the, the people there, after they were fed, even though it looked like there was no way there would be enough food, but Jesus made it work, they were all ready to make him their king. They were ready to follow him. And guess what? They had visions. They had ideas about this Jesus. And he's going to always keep us fed. And he's always going to, you know, heal our sick. And it's going to be great. He's going to be the greatest leader we could hope for. He's going to give us our country back. He's got the power to kick the Romans out. Everything's going to be great if Jesus is our king. And then all of a sudden, in our text, Jesus changes the narrative. 
this point, right between where we were last week and where we're going to be today, right now, was the height of Jesus' popularity and love from the general people. So Jesus, after he changes or feeds all the people, he goes across the Sea of Galilee to the northern part of the, the sea. There's a town there called Capernaum. And he ends up getting there. He's teaching in the synagogue there. And the crowds who want to make him king, they follow him there. Jesus sees them, and here's what he says to them. Very truly, I tell you, you're looking for me, not because you saw signs that I performed, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. It's not the, you're thinking um, that because I was able to do this, that there's something better, something more eternal that I can give you. But simply, you were hungry, I was able to give you free food. Do not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. And Jesus begins to sort of change the narrative. He begins to, to point out to them, you know, here's why you like me, but why you like me should not be the reason you like me. Because you're thinking of things that are not why I'm here. There's a different reason why I'm here. And then Jesus makes this analogy. The expert preacher, he was like the object lesson master. He just had changed, uh, or not changed water into wine, but he had just fed people with uh, bread and fish. And then he says, next verse, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry. And whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. And people are beginning to, you see this when you read all, the entire section beginning to get confused. Now Jesus is bread. What is whole wheat, white? What, what, what is Jesus talking about? And again, he's starting to get them to think about things that they hadn't been thinking about. And then it gets weirder. Verse 53. Very truly, I tell you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man, unless you eat me and drink my blood... You have no life in you. And I'm going to stop there because some of you uh, are thinking, yeah, he's talking about communion. No, communion isn't a thing yet. He, he's making a different type of analogy. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise them up at the last day, for my flesh is real food and my blood is real drink. Now, I'm a pastor, and I think that if I read those words out of context, I'd be like, what? These are weird words. Let's just acknowledge that right now. And if you're brand new to church or never read these words before, as I pull them out of context, it's okay to think they're weird. But Jesus is wanting to get people's attention. He wants them to kind of be, quote-unquote, weird. Because it's going to get people to think. And he makes this comparison that when you ate the bread and the fish in that miracle, you received physical nourishment. You went from being hungry and hangry, right, to being full and feeling good. And that was a good thing. Physical nourishment is good. But you see, just like you ate that, I'm here to bring nourishment and life and blessings too. And you're not going to physically eat my flesh but the comparison is that when you come to me, 
when you believe in me, I'm going to give you nourishment, blessings, and life. They're just going to be the eternal kind and the spiritual kind. It's not going to be what you think. And whether they understood it in the moment or not, it was just that it was going to be even better. When you come to understand that Jesus is the Son of God, I'm going to be your Savior. Not from the Romans and not from all of your sicknesses and not from hunger. I'm going to be your Savior from something bigger and longer. Savior from sin and giver of eternal life. That's what I've come to bring. So they heard this and they're like, You preach it, Jesus. I love what you have to say all the time. Verse 60. On hearing it, many of his disciples said, this is a hard teaching. Who can accept this? And we're not exactly sure which part was difficult for them. It's probably, you know, kind of a a package deal. Was it the fact that Jesus had just come off saying, eat my body and drink my blood? Okay, that's hard. (laughs) Maybe it's it's the fact that Jesus is, is essentially saying that I'm the son of God. And they knew who his parents were, Mary. And how can he claim to be the son of God? Maybe it was the idea that Jesus has the power to say your sins are forgiven and you don't need to do anything for it. Who is this that can say that? This is a hard teaching. Who can accept it? And it was in this moment that things began to change for the people. Now, if it were me, and I just came off such an event like feeding fifteen to 20,000 people, like, I would have milked it for a while. Like, everyone loves me. All right, I don't want to hear it. Come on, tell me. No, no, come on, come on. You know, like, we enjoy being popular. We enjoy when, when people want to be near us and they're singing our praises. And Jesus changes the narrative so quickly. They love me too much for the wrong reasons. And in that, there's something to be said about the laser-focused nature of Jesus. I I put it this way in our second fill-in. Jesus wasn't here on earth to win the crowd's admiration. He was here to win the crowd's salvation. He wasn't here to do all the things to make people like him. He was here to do tough things that would lead to something greater for them. And I think it's important for you to recognize that too. Because that's the exact same way he works in your life. He doesn't work in a way so that at the end of the day you're like, God, you're awesome because you gave me everything I want. And you make every day just wonderful. He has the power to do that. But sometimes that's not the best thing for us. Still today, he works not to win your approval and admiration from a worldly perspective. But instead, he is here to work in terms of your salvation and the bigger picture. Verse 61. They've just said, this is a hard teaching. And we continue. Aware that his disciples were grumbling about this teaching and what Jesus was talking about. And Jesus, why are you talking about this I am the bread thing? Like that's a, I mean, do you see all the people? They, they, they like us. And now you're, you're talking weird. <laughs> the disciples were grumbling about what Jesus was saying. Jesus said to them, does this offend you? 
then what if you see the Son of Man ascend to where he was before? Next verse. The Spirit gives life, the flesh counts for nothing. And I, I put those words in yellow because it kind of summarizes all of what he's saying in these few verses. Again, it's that theme that the things of this life, while Jesus could give them to us, they're not the most important. Blessings in this life are great, but they don't last. The words I have spoken to you, they are full of the Spirit and life. Yet there are some of you who do not believe. Next verse. For Jesus had known from the beginning which of them did not believe and who would betray him. He went on to say, This is why I told you that no one can come to me unless the Father has enabled them. Unless God works in your heart, we can't even say Jesus is Lord. We cannot believe without God working in our hearts. Next verse. From this time, many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. I need to unpack that word disciple for a moment. Because when I say disciple, those of you who know the Bible well, right away think of the 12 disciples. Understand that the word disciple was used not just for 12 closest followers of Jesus, but it's a word that just means follower or learner. And it actually was used for all the people, the crowds who would follow Jesus regularly. Uh, it's, It's a term that designated probably, I would say from the gospel, 70 to maybe over 100 different people that were, in this case, the disciples, the followers, the regular followers of Jesus. And as we talked about already, from this, uh, up until this point, things were awesome. Like if, if, you had a, if you had a chart, a graph of Jesus' growth, you know, quarter over quarter, he was up and to the right the entire time. There wasn't a quarter of decline. It was great. And then this happened. And it was the first quarter of decline. (laughs) And people walked away. And some of the hundred, they turned back and no longer wanted to follow him because what they had hoped for wasn't what Jesus was all about. This was a a hard teaching, and this was a turning point in Jesus' ministry. How can a person go from being wildly popular to crucified within a year? This is where it started. Jesus being really clear on why he was here and the blessings that he had come to bring. But you know who also was in that group? Jesus 12. The closest ones. And they're there watching and they're like, hmm, look where the crowd's going. And I'm still here. I mean, it was a lot more fun when all the crowd was here. But they're all leaving. Beep. They're all leaving. What should I do? Beep. And what happens? Well, Jesus knows what they're thinking. Verse 67. You don't want to leave too, do you? 
Jesus asked the 12. And Jesus, who, all, who knows all things, I think in this question, it's like, because I know you do. Because I know you're thinking about it. You don't want to leave with the crowd. You want to follow the crowd too, do you, my closest 12 disciples? And in that moment, the disciples, the 12, have a choice. Am I going to follow the crowd because the influence of the crowd is powerful? Or, or am I going to follow Jesus? Now, I thought a lot about this moment this week. In fact, I talked to, asked my wife about it too, just to kind of help me think through this. And one of the things that, that I, I came to was that the greatest areas of temptation for me and maybe for you are also the same areas where the crowd is the loudest. The greatest areas of temptation for me to stop following Jesus and, and not necessarily like go totally away from faith and now I'm not a believer anymore. It could be that, but it could be a lot smaller. Just instead of doing or following Jesus in this area of my life, I'm going to follow the crowd and think about Jesus later, right? Tends to be those areas where the crowd is the loudest. And, and I want you to know something. Put it this way because it rhymes. The crowd is loud. The crowd is is loud. It is. I, I unpacked this a little more for myself and thought about different areas. I don't have time to, to talk about all of the areas, but it's important for me to maybe smoke out a few of them. At least these are ones that my heart can tend to struggle with. Um, think about our culture's endless pursuit for bigger, better, and more, Right? And again, we talked about how the internet and social media sort of feed into that as well. And of course, this is not a new pursuit. I I'm guessing that the disciples had the same challenge and the same problems. It's just that it's in our face even more. And, and it gets to a point where you almost feel like behind the times for staying within your means and in having a home you can afford, right? Or to have clothes that aren't name brand or might even be used. Like you just, you feel like that's like almost wrong or something. Or, or to have a, a car that's 10 years old. You know what? The crowd is loud. And it's one of the most powerful influences in our lives. Or, or how about in the area of marriage and sexuality? As fewer and fewer people wait for marriage and more and more choose divorce as the quick solution to a difficult marriage, it almost feels weird to wait and almost feels like you're not loving yourself enough to fight for a difficult marriage that isn't going perfectly. Let me tell you something. Every Marriage struggles. And usually the problem isn't the spouse. Many times, not all the time, but a lot of times it's the person that you see in the mirror every day. And there's things in us that need to change. And yet we're, the crowd tells us, if you're not happy, find your happiness. God says, you made a commitment, and I know it's tough, but work hard. 
Examples could go on and on. Sunday morning sports versus Sunday morning worship. Being happy, this kind of dovetails with the one I just mentioned, with being faithful. Being rich in wealth versus being rich in love. Doing what feels right versus what, doing what is right. The crowd is loud, isn't it? It is one of the most powerful influences in our lives. And one of the things that I just want you to consider today, because otherwise I don't know if you're going to bring it to apply personally, is this question. You might even want to write it down, but at least make a mental note. To ask yourself, where have my priorities or perspective been negatively affected by the crowd? Where are some areas where following the crowd is different than following Jesus? And what are some of those areas that I, that I struggle with? Because a lot of times we're just like a bunch of lemmings, right? We just follow, not the flock, we follow the herd or whatever, you know, even if it's off a cliff into the water because everyone's standing up and sitting down. My job is to get you to stop and to think. And where might my priorities been affected? And this leads us to our next fill-in. Be mindful of the crowd. It's not always right, even when it's loud. Because sometimes some of the loudest messages you receive and the most prevalent messages you receive are a bunch of garbage. Just because it's loud does not mean that it's right. Just because everyone's saying it or everyone's doing it does not mean that it's the right thing. And some of the answer to this is Surrounding yourself with the right voices, right? Um, One of those gods, having a pastor will tell you like it is, (laughs) or pastors, and not what you want to hear. Being in the word on your own. Some of it is, is other voices, people that you know that you can trust that will tell you what's most important, uh, whether that be in your small group or otherwise. It's important to have the, the right voices. But there's also something else that I want to end with, and we're going to find it in the disciples' response to this question. So the question was this, verse 67 again. So 12 disciples, you don't want to leave too, do you? Everyone else is leaving. You don't want to leave too, do you? Verse 68, Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. And you know, Peter, like if you had to have guessed which disciple is going to speak first, you know, most of you would have said, yeah, it's going to be Peter. And sometimes that worked out really well for him. And sometimes it's like, Peter, you know, get behind me, Satan. You, you need to think about this a little bit before you say this. And this is one of the good times. This is one of the good replies. And I love his question. And it's a question that I want you to ask yourself when you have the opportunity to follow the crowd or to follow Jesus. It's the question, Lord, to whom would we go? Because you understand, understand this. When you leave someone or something, you are going to someone or something, and it may or may not be better. Let me, let me illustrate this for you. This is a key point of application for today. So, um, I don't know, when you were five or six or seven, any of you, like, tell your parents, like, I'm going to run away. I'm running away. 
And I'm not talking, this is not a serious discussion like someone who is in a really bad family. This is one of those goofy times that I'm talking about where, like, mom and dad said you can't have another bowl of ice cream and I'm running away. Or, like, they get to always do this. I don't, I don't want to be in this family anymore. I'm running away, you know. That type of stuff, right? And, and so a five-year-old, six-year-old, seven-year-old, whatever, they, they get out their backpack and you kind of have to, to pack and you maybe let mom or dad know that you're packing so they get really worried, right, and grab your pajamas. These are not five-year-old pajama pants. These are Pastor Ben-sized pajama pants, but anyway, um, grab your, you know, my, my blankie, right? And by the way, if, if you have a blankie, first tip, like, sign, don't run away if you have a blankie. But anyway, you're five years old, six years old, blankie, you're, you're stuffed animal, and you come out into the kitchen, and I'm running away, mom. You guys are so mean to me. Right? And then you put on your backpack. And, and now, how, how often does that work? Like, how often, again, talking goofy moments, how often does the, the five or seven-year-old or ten-year-old stay away? Like, never. Why? Because it's not great where they are, but where they're going to, well, they haven't really thought that through. <laughs> where are you going? The treehouse. And then it rains. And they're back, aren't they? Where are you going? Well, I'm going to my friend's house. Did you, th- did you ask them? No, I'm just going. And they're all sleeping. And they're back. You're back. I'm, I'm going to the park. I'm just camp out on the playground. And then it gets dark and you hear like crickets. And you're like all, okay. Maybe home wasn't so bad and that goofy five, seven-year-old is back. Why? Well, what he was experiencing at home, was it hard for him? Yeah. But you know what he needed to ask? Okay, this is hard, but where am I going to go? Because where I'm going to go is going to be a heck of a lot worse than where I am. You know, when, when Peter shared this, this question, Lord, who, where should I go? Do you notice the answer is not like, Jesus, we got your back. We're following you. Like, I love what you just said, that bread stuff. That's awesome. I wish I would have thought of that. Like, I don't think Peter loved the message that Jesus had. I think there's a part of Peter, actually, you know it from the rest of Scripture. Like, there's a part of Peter that's like disappointed. I thought... We were going to be famous, and I thought he was going to be popular, and I thought, like, the, the crowd was just going to keep growing, and, and I'm the guy who talks all the time, so I'm going to be one of the better guys, and everyone's going to love me. And He asked the question, not, I'm so excited to follow you right now. He asked the question I want you to ask. Lord, if the alternative is the crowd— where, will, where should I go? Because you have the words of eternal life. At the end of the day, I'm a little disappointed, Jesus. But you have what I need the most. And it's not going to be easy. By the way, Jesus never promised that it would. And I'm not going to always like it. But the alternative? That's not where I want to be. 
so I just want you to know, it's our last fill-in for today, following Jesus is always greater than following the crowd. Not always more fun, not always easier, not always the path lined with the most enjoyment, but it is greater. And whether that be his strength to get through difficult times or ultimately and most importantly eternal life, when we follow Jesus, there is going to be blessing, spiritual blessing, spiritual nourishment, eternal life. Now, last thing. If that lady who went into the eye doctor's appointment had been told before she went, like, okay, here's what's going to happen. They're playing a trick on you. And they're going to press this beeping sound, and everyone has been instructed to stand up and sit down. And we're going to see if you're like a lemming and just follow everybody. You think she would have stood up? Because it makes a difference to be warned, to be told. Well, consider yourself told. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word, and we thank you for the opportunity to, to come here, to hear it, both things we love and, and hard messages, Lord. And sometimes we do find ourselves following the crowd way, way too much. Ask you, Lord, to help us see that in ourselves, not the people around us. Help us see it in ourselves, and then help us to know and to recognize and to realize that following you by faith is always better. It's in Jesus' name we pray.